0: From historical locations found on a map to the lesser known areas found maybe even in your own hometown, history leaves shadows that people in the present can still see. Let's find out their stories together on this episode of Historically Haunted. Hello everyone and welcome back to Historically Haunted. I'm your host, Ariel. I hope everyone has had a really good two weeks considering everyone is in lockdown right now. I hope everyone's staying healthy and safe. I am back with an exciting new place to explore. Saddle up those horses, partners, because in this episode, we're going down to Texas to one of the most haunted places in the state, Yorktown Memorial Hospital. This place checks all the boxes for a horror movie in the making. The only kicker is the hauntings in this building are said to be real. Before we begin, if my voice sounds slightly off, it's because I've got massive allergies, so bear with me if I sound like my voice is a little deeper or it gets a little high-pitched. I've took allergy medicine, so hopefully as the day proceeds, it will get better. I hope. Just wanted to remind everyone that if you have a personal paranormal experience that has happened to you or a close friend or family member, I would love to hear about it and read it on the air. Send me your stories to historicallyhaunted.313 at gmail.com. For podcast makers, we have all noticed a trend with this whole COVID-19 shutdown. Number one, not as many people are listening anymore to many podcasts. And number two, famous people are suddenly making podcasts because they have nothing else to do. And that's great for them. And I hope that keeps them engaged in with their fans and everything. But they already have a million plus audience to announce that they're suddenly making a podcast. Little shows like me, who started with nothing, need your help more than ever, especially more than the celebrities. It would only take you two minutes to rate and review the smaller podcast out there on iTunes. If you can right now just pause the show and scroll down and click rate and review and leave me some feedback and then click some stars and boom, you're done. That's how fast it could be. So I'd really appreciate it if you guys wouldn't mind to just do that for me. That would help me out a lot. And don't forget your other podcasts that you love listening to as well. Bottom line, I would encourage everyone to help out the smaller podcasts in your life before you are telling someone big like Tom Hanks that he's wonderful. We already know he's wonderful and I'm just kidding because I don't think that Tom Hanks even has a podcast, but you know what I mean. I have also just added Historically Haunted to the Podbelly Network, so there's another way you can listen to me um podbelly network is not sponsoring this in any way I just wanted to talk about it really quick podbelly.com is where you can find a lot of interesting and really good podcasts to listen to and I noticed that a lot of them are more in the paranormal wheelhouse so that's another reason why I added my podcast to that network I was hoping to pick up some more listeners and I hope that works so um they also have a great uh learn page so if you go on podbelly.com and you click on learn up at the top they have great advice which I didn't know, I don't know if this was around when I was starting a podcast, I'm not even sure, but I wish I would have been able to look through some of that stuff. They have wonderful resources and really great advice for how to start a podcast when you're just starting out. So I would encourage anyone, if you're trying to start a podcast, to go on Podbelly.com and learn from the experts that give you great tips and advice. Due to COVID-19 and the whole lockdown situation, I have to completely redo again my Patreon page setup. I was planning this summer to do a lot of um, ghost tour type stuff and have videos of it on the Patreon page and they literally all got canceled, but that's okay. I can get through this. So I'm going to go back to my original plan and I'm pulling out all my notes and I'm going to do a lot of bonus episodes. They're going to be about 15 minutes max, but they're going to be really cool and I hope to do like a really interesting haunted place to add like a full episode to add for my Patreons once a month at least. So stay tuned. As soon as I map out that plan, I will let you all know. So that's everything I need to talk about for today. So let's kick things off with our monsters moments and then dive headfirst into that paranormal toolkit. Stories of encounters from strange beasts lurking deep in the forests on snowy mountaintops and in dark caves have been told throughout the generations, turning to legend. But what if I told you that many of these creatures are still spotted today? I call these Monstrous Moments, and I invite you to listen to this week's Monstrous Encounter. Texas has its fair share of famous monsters, but one I didn't know was the legend of the La Lachusa. Lachusa has been told to children in northern Mexico and southern Texas for generations. It's a good one, and I'm sad that I didn't know this legend sooner. Lachusa means owl in English, and many English versions of this tale now call it the Owl Witch. But for people who speak Spanish, this will always be La Lachusa. The legend of the Lachusa begins when an older woman feels like she has been wronged by the people in her life. To enact revenge during the night, she shapeshifts into a giant owl. Sometimes the owl can be black and sometimes it has been reported as white. And in some versions of this legend, the head is still that of the old woman who became the Lachusa. There are many different versions for the Lachusa tale. Some use it as a cautionary tale to tell children, you know, you better go to bed or else the Lachusa will come after you. Usually in this version, the Lachusa will shapeshift and swoop down upon its enemy or sometimes the child who won't go to bed from above and then carry them off to its lair never to be seen again. Other stories say that the Lachusa will lure you away from your home or your group by making the sound of a crying baby and then once you get alone it'll kill you instantly. The most recent version of the Lachusa is the tale of a woman who lost her son at the hands of a drunk driver, and now she turns into a Lachusa during the night so that she can attack and sometimes kill drunk men who are out late at night. No matter what version, the message is clear. Go to bed on time, don't be where you shouldn't be, and don't think that you can just ignore your responsibilities to your health and others around you. While today most people think of this as just an urban legend, try telling that to the hundreds of people who have claimed to have real run-ins with the Lachusa. One terrifying tale comes to us from an article by Mike Cox on TexasEscapes.com. According to Cox, three women were returning home from a shopping trip in San Antonio on a lonely highway at late at night. While driving down the road, something suddenly wasn't right they realized that they were seeing a gigantic bird in front of their car but this was no average bird besides the fact that it was huge it was able to stay ahead of the car the whole time while bobbing and weaving in and out of the headlights then the bird disappeared and then reappeared suddenly right next to the car outside the driver's side window the driver floored it to try to outrun the bird but then the car suddenly died and the headlights went out the women, terrified, locked themselves in the car and waited for something to happen. Just as mysteriously and suddenly as the car died, it restarted and the Lachuza was never seen again. But to them, they all knew what it was from the moment they saw it. It was definitely the Lachusa. Out of the many other sightings I read about, this next one stood out to me for multiple reasons. First, I'll just tell you the story. I found this story on MexicoUnexplained.com in an article written by Robert Bitto. I think that's how you say his name. In this article, it claims that one night in 1977 in a Mexican-American border town of Santa Rosa, Texas, many people of one neighborhood spotted a Lachusa in a tree. She flew down to a woman's house and began scratching on the front door as if she was trying to get inside. Due to the noise the Lechuza was making, all the neighborhood dogs began to come outside and see what was going on. They began barking and scared the Lechuza away. The dogs then chased after the bird until it flew too high for them to reach and they gave up and came home. The following morning, the people woke up to discover that all their dogs had died sometime during the night. The people were unable to explain the deaths of their dogs. The reason this story stood out to me is because in the Mothman prophecies, uh, which if you don't know what the Mothman prophecies are, it's about this strange giant bird man who was seen at Point Pleasant. Um, right before a bridge collapsed. And there's a whole backstory to this. I don't have time to get into the Mothman right now, but it's definitely something I guarantee everyone should look into. If you want an in-depth, like, 10-part episode read about it, um, you should go to Astonishing Legends uh, podcast. They do a full Mothman Prophecies segment, and it's really good. But the reason this stuck out to me is because in the Mothman Prophecies, they were mentioning that dogs dying was a common theme with Mothman sightings. So I just find this interesting that this is another giant bird creature who also killed all the dogs that chased after her almost as a revenge plot. There have been so many sightings of the Lachusa that I'm beginning to think there's at least something going on with this legend. And I can guarantee you one thing, a run-in with the Lachusa is not a monstrous moment I would want to add to my books. (laughs) Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick time out and ask you a question. Did you know that 1 in 10 people have dyslexia? You might even have it and not know it. Dyslexia is a learning disability that affects reading, spelling, and sometimes math, but it has nothing to do with low intelligence. I know because Einstein himself had it. Oh, and I have it too. Many people go undiagnosed, but it is important that you know the signs so that you can get help right away. The faster you know your child has it, the faster you can start doing things differently so that they can start thriving in school. And if you're an adult who also might have it, remember, you are never too old to ask for help. Please go to dyslexia.org to find out more or my website, historicallyhaunted.net, and click on the Information About Dyslexia tab. Okay, back to the show. Over our history, humans have used several techniques to try to contact the dead. Today, ghost hunters use various technologies to try to record proof of the paranormal. I got curious as to what is inside these paranormal toolkits, so come with me as I open it up and see what's inside. Today on paranormal toolkit we will be discussing thermal imaging cameras the idea of thermal imaging goes back all the way to the 1800s when scientists discovered infrared was a form of radiation beyond red light you might be surprised to discover that thermal imaging cameras were invented 100 years ago i was truly surprised i had no idea that blew my mind that technology was that old in the 20th century thermography better known as night vision, was used as the British anti-aircraft defense following World War I. After its success, camera manufacturers began creating improved and smaller thermal imaging cameras. Now thermal imaging is used in night vision goggles for the military, police cameras, game cameras, home security cameras, hobby photography, and today it's most notably used for paranormal research. The most popular thermal imaging cameras used today detects changes of infrared light around us. These changes are shown in real time as the person looks through the screen on the camera. To give you a quick example, if you have never seen one before, say you are pointing a thermal imaging camera into a room. What you are going to see on the screen itself is the temperature scale. As you look at the screen, you will notice the camera is reporting back to you the temperatures of objects in the room. For instance, electronics will usually be hotter than other things, or a hot cup of coffee will show as the hot indicator on the screen. In contrast, the floor or areas that have a draft would be cooler. You will know this because the scale is based on colors, and the more expensive thermal cameras can gauge the temperatures more accurately than others. Usually hot objects are yellows and oranges and reds, cooler objects are greens, blues, and purple. Ghost hunters use these cameras to detect light that is not visible to the naked eye. It is the most useful to investigators when they are having a handheld camera and can immediately go to the area to try to debunk any strange occurrences that happened on the camera. So basically, it's like this. If you're pointing the camera down a hallway for a good while and suddenly a new temperature is detected, Sometimes this new shape is in the shape of a person, sometimes it's more like a blobby shape that's fading in and out, and sometimes it's even the shape of an orb. This, to the team, indicates that something is going on in an area that the naked eye cannot see. Normally, they will immediately go to the area they saw the anomaly and try to debunk what they just saw. Was it an air vent that just came on? Was it a draft or worse? Is there a real person inside the building that they weren't aware of? Personally, to me, I'm more afraid of the living than the dead. If I was in what I thought was a completely Abandoned building and I saw actually someone, that would freak me out more than if I saw a ghost. Once the team eliminates all those logical factors, the team normally shows us as evidence that something is definitely going on in the area. One of the more famous paranormal entities caught on a thermal imaging camera was from the 2015 Ghost Hunters TV show. It was season 10, episode 10, titled Darker Learning. In this episode, the team went to investigate a haunting claims from the Southern Vermont University College in Vermont. This is one of the creepiest videos that I've ever seen personally. So Jason and Steve are on this show and they're two people that used to be on this show. So Jason and Steve were walking the halls of the school. They just had started their investigation and Jason turned to walk down a hallway and he stopped because he was seeing a colder spot at the end and was trying to get his bearings. And then a straight up person walked from left to right across the hallway plain as day you could see it was a person so they went to see if a real person was hiding in the building and when dave got down to the location they, that they saw the figure it was not down at the end it was kind of in the middle of the hallway but when dave got to the location he found that it was not only there were two closed doors that they would have heard open on either side of the hallway but they both were locked It's creepy and I have personally seen something like that. So to me, this is the better evidence I've seen from one of those TV show type ghost hunting shows. Now these thermal imaging cameras have gotten so good and so precise, they are catching all kinds of shadow figures and other anomalies. Skeptics will say, yeah, they're just doing that to get more ratings. But I personally think the technology has gotten so much better in a short amount of time that it's going to be harder and harder to say that there is not something weird going on in the spaces that we can't see with our naked eye. Did you know that rating and reviewing your favorite podcast shows on iTunes is one of the best ways to help others find the show? Also, sharing the podcast with your friends and family will help spread the word that Historically Haunted is out there and waiting to be listened to. Please go to my website, historicallyhaunted.net for more ways to support the show, like links to my Patreon page and more. Yorktown Memorial Hospital is located in Texas, and it has some crazy paranormal claims. The history is almost as strange as the haunts, and it is considered to be the most haunted abandoned hospital in Texas. Cozy up to that little campfire in your backyard, get some good wine or tea, and get ready for a truly creepy episode. Yorktown Memorial Hospital is located 75 miles southeast of San Antonio in the town of Yorktown, Texas. Yorktown is the oldest incorporated town of DeWitt County. The first settlers came to Yorktown in 1840, and it became an official town in 1871. The main founder of the town was Charles Erdhart. Erdhart came from Germany in 1832. He started his own mercantile business in Indianola, which was an important seaport in the 1800s. Part of his business included transporting goods from the mercantile to the town of New Bransfields. The road at the time was long, without any good places to stop for wagon repairs and supplies, so he hired John A. King to survey a new route from Indianola to New Bransfields. This trail was later called the Old Indianola Trail. Today, King is considered one of the pioneers of the West Texas area. King was able to find a better route that shortened the travel by 20 miles, and when you were traveling with a covered wagon and horses, that is quite helpful. After the new trail was surveyed, Urquhart established Yorktown to be an important halfway point for stagecoaches, mail carriers, cattle drivers, trail drivers, freighters, and prairie schooners. And for those of you who thought, what the heck is a prairie schooner like I did, I googled it for you and I found out it's just a fancy word for covered wagon. And honestly, it sounds a lot more majestic than just saying a covered wagon. (laughs) The first house in town was built in May 1854, and both York and Urquhart died before the town was fully completed. York was killed in a conflict with Indians in October 1848. Urquhart died from a yellow fever, returning from an inspection of his properties in South America in 1852. The town continued to grow without them. The first school building was built in 1853, and the Catholic Church was established in 1867. The town began to thrive. Hotels sprung up along with saloons, and by 1898, Yorktown had become a true western town. It had 63 businesses. The types of stores and offerings the town had were things like blacksmiths, butchers, barbershops, dry goods, saddlers, mills, grocery stores, cotton gins, stage stops general stores the town also had its own newspaper for a time and what would any old western town be without its entertainment they had dancing halls opera houses and saloons and though it didn't say it i'm sure they had a brothel or two as well by the time the 1900s came around the town was still abuzz with activity the only thing the town didn't have was its own hospital at the time, the closest hospital was in San Antonio, Texas, a 75-mile drive. Especially back then, that was very slow travel. Obviously, that made things extremely difficult for the sick and people experiencing a life-threatening emergency. So, come in the Flesh and Sisters. The Flesh and Sisters of the Roman Catholic Church decided that a hospital was needed for their small town and the surrounding area. After the Flesh and Sisters got backing from the town, they got all the money they needed to build the hospital from grants and donations from companies such as the Ford Motor Company. Once the money was collected and the building plan submitted and approved, construction began in 1950 and officially opened in 1951. The name was Yorktown Memorial Hospital. It was chosen to honor residents who fought and died in World War II. After you look at this hospital, you realize that it's extremely small. Having only 30,000 square feet, it was a short two-story building with two wings, a chapel and a basement. The second story was strictly living quarters for people who worked at the hospital, AKA a lot of the nuns. There was also a priest's room in the basement. After it was officially opened, the Fletchen sisters continued to run the facility. You'd think it would be a happy story, a hospital being built in a small town that needing of its assistance? The sad truth is that this hospital had a very high mortality rate. It has been reported that in just the six years of operation, under the care of the nuns, 500 people died. In all, 2,000 people have apparently died, in this hospital in just 30 years. Keep in mind, this is a small town. Today, Yorktown's population is around 2,000 people. So that's as if the population died. That to me is an amazing mortality rate, it's very sad. And now you might be like me, what the heck was going on at this place? Why did so many people die? Well, some people attribute these deaths to Dr. Leon Nerworski. Dr. Nerworski was, well, how do I say this? He was on the older side. Uh, for practicing medicine. He practiced into his 90s. Talk about can't let a job go. Anyway, by the end of his career, he held the oldest medical license in the state of Texas. Here is where the truth and legend gets a little murky. Many accidents and death were attributed to this doctor. Apparently, he was known for making mistakes, and he made them often, especially in the O.R., One of the most famous mistakes he allegedly made was accidentally slitting the throat of a patient while he was operating on the patient's thyroid, and yet he was still able to keep his job. Regardless if this is true, the fact that there were 2,000 deaths in only 30 years tells me that something definitely was going on there. Now, I'm never one to want to bash a small town. I'm from a small town. I never want to talk bad about it, and I'm not trying to. But I got a lot of the historical information from Yorktowntexas.com, which was fantastic for my historical research, but it's the town's online community portal, and when I was on that website, I thought it was really interesting that I was unable to find literally anything about the hospital. You can't even find a photo of it among their other photos of the town and the things they do there. It's as if they want to forget about it completely. As it is, the building is at the end of Main Street, and it is the only building that appears to be completely abandoned and unkempt. The rest of the town's buildings are historical, and they have upkeep on them. So I had to go to other websites to find any history of the hospital, and Wikipedia, believe it or not, only has barely two paragraphs about this place at all. It's like the information about this hospital has just disappeared, or it's been buried for some reason. I've never been there, and I already got a weird vibe from this place. Just by doing the research alone, without even looking at pictures of it, you just get the vibe that something's off. Finally, the hospital had to be closed down in 1986. One reason was a newer hospital was built in a nearby town of Cuero. For another reason, I bet people chose to drive to Cuero rather than go to Yorktown Memorial, which everyone knew at the time had such a high mortality rate. Uh, Like I said earlier, I grew up in a small town and I do know that feeling of everyone in town just knows that you should not go to that one hospital and you should go to the other one because it's just got bad vibes and everyone has something bad to say about it. Everyone had a don't take me to that hospital attitude about one place. I am not going to say on my podcast, but I sympathize with small towns that do not get proper care. After Yorktown Memorial closed, it turned into a drug rehab center, but that didn't last long either due to the staff's inability to control their patients. They also had trouble keeping people employed there. It shut down only two years later in 1988. Now it is an abandoned hospital that sits on the end of Main Street alone and forgotten behind a chain link fence with overgrown weeds in the yard around it. Today, it is privately owned and the only people who come to visit are ghost hunters. I encourage everyone to look up pictures of this place. I posted a few on my Instagram and Facebook that I got from Google. Of course, I didn't I didn't take those. But if you look up a few pictures, it is really bizarre. Um, sometimes there's like this idea that if something really, really bad happened in the area, um, plants won't grow. And it's kind of creepy because a lot of the photos I found, everything is dead around it. And I'm not just talking like obviously stuff that needs water, but like really old trees, stuff like that. They just, they, everything is dead and it's very weird vibe. And there might be a reason everything is dead because now it's time to talk about the things that ghost hunters and people who have trespassed on this property have seen and heard while touring its halls. Today Yorktown Hospital is privately owned, but they are open for scheduled ghost hunts. If you are interested, you can go to Yorktown Memorial Hospital on Facebook and they have a phone number that you can call to book appointments. Now, let me set the scene for you. You are walking up the path to the entrance. The entrance is overgrown with trees and bushes, almost as if the building is trying to hide itself from the town. A 1950s-style entrance with its rounded top windows and big front doors greets you as you walk up the stone steps to the door. Above the entrance, you can make out the faded words, Yorktown Memorial Hospital. As you are looking up at the entrance, you think you see a flash of white in the corner of your eye. You look around and see nothing. You take a deep breath, and you enter the hospital. It turns out the flash of white you might have seen in the corner of your eye might have been from a nun's habit. The grounds of this hospital have as much activity as the inside. Nuns have been reported to be seen walking around the property as if they are going about their normal rounds. Some have even spotted one nun that looks like she is gardening. A listener of Historically Haunted contacted me about an EVP he caught while he was exploring the front entrance of this building. His name is Kevin and he sent me some photos that I will post on my Facebook and Instagram as well. In the email, he told me he was visiting his father and stepmother in Seguin, Texas. And his dad and stepmom wanted his brother to see the haunted location. So they went and took lots of pictures of the building and of the windows. He told me it's free to walk around the building, but to go inside, you have to set up a time and pay a fee. While he was walking around the front of the building, he caught an EVP on video and he sent it to me. I'm about to play the EVP so you guys can hear it. The video is of him walking up to the entrance. His stepmom had caught an EVP on one of those live photos on her iPhone, so Kevin went up the steps to see if he could get anything for himself. This time, he turned it to video mode. Now, you can hear Kevin say, all right, let's hear it again, and then you can hear something, and I will play it for you twice, and you can think about it, and then I'll talk about it. So here is the EVP that he sent me. All right, let's hear it again. What do you think? Did you hear something? I'll play it one more time and then I'll give you my thoughts. All right, let's hear it again. It's short, but it sounds like a little girl, but I don't know exactly what it's saying either, but I can definitely hear the cadence like, Ooh, like that. I'm not sure what it sounds like she's saying if someone else has better ears than me please let me know to me it sounded like the little girl was just like almost maybe singing or just trying to get his attention like almost like I'm here but you know in a different way like "Mm mmm I don't know might have been humming too kind of creepy, but I loved it. So thank you so much to Kevin for sending me that awesome EVP. And like I said, I'll post a lot of photos of the windows that he took. Very, very creepy. And in some of them, it looks like you can see someone staring back at you. So very interesting indeed. This building is notorious for getting really loud long and clear EVPs. You will find out as soon as I cover this location a little more, but just from the very beginning, since Kevin caught an EVP at the very entrance, you're going to find out this place is extremely active. From the moment you enter the structure, it is easy to see that the building is decaying and old medical equipment, much of it from the 1950s, are still in the hallways and in many rooms. The first floor of the building has a lot of different claims. Cold spots are common, also the feeling of being watched and followed down the hallway, shadow figures move from room to room, the sound of footsteps when you see absolutely no one in the building, and orbs have been seen both with the naked eye and on camera. Now, I don't know how I feel about orbs. I know that many photos of orbs are just dust or bugs, but when people see them with the naked eye, it is more interesting to me and a little more believable, but the only kicker is then all of a sudden there's no photo evidence of the orb, so did it really happen? Ah, the skeptic's conundrum. Thank goodness I'm more of the open-minded skeptic than just the true skeptic. It's kind of hard when people go, pick or it didn't happen, and then you show them a picture and you look at it, And you go, well, that's obviously photoshopped. It's like, how can I win with you? Many people have reported being grabbed, pushed, and had clothes being tugged on by unseen hands. Some ghost hunters have attributed the tugging on clothing to a girl named Stacy. Stacy was apparently a little girl who lived and died at the hospital. But while she was getting treatment, she loved to have the nuns read her a book called The Pokey Little Puppy. If you want to get an interaction from her, all you have to do is read to her. Sit down with a good book, and she tends to come in the room and touch things or make lights go off, like flashlights and uh, EMF detectors and such. She's also been seen playing in the hallways, hanging out around her old room, and when she's in her old room, she likes to play with a certain ball. And she's also even been seen playing hide-and-go-seek in the basement. She might not be the only child spirit in this building. Children's laughter and footsteps have been heard all over the property but it's clear to investigators that Stacy is still an eight-year-old girl who loves to play with the investigators when they show up. Maybe she was also playing outside. I wonder if she was the voice in that EVP that Kevin caught on his phone. That sure would be cool. An apparition of a tall man in a white t-shirt and dark jeans is seen often roaming the halls of the hospital. Many think he is the ghost of a man named Doug Richards. Doug was a heavy equipment mechanic who passed away in the 1970s at the hospital. Remember Dr. Noworski? Well, his ghost apparently haunts the old operating room and he has also been seen in the doctor's lounge area as well. Many people wonder if he was doomed to wander the halls forever due to his malpractice and being blamed for so many deaths. The back door of the hospital is also haunted by a ghost named TJ. TJ's story is tragic if it's real. When this building was being used as a drug rehabilitation facility, TJ was out with a group of friends and he overdosed. His friends decided to just dump him on the steps and... the back door they rang the bell and ditched him well either the bell was not working or the nurse on duty had fallen asleep and didn't hear it either way tj passed away on the steps and was not found until morning now people say they see him wandering around near the door as if he is still trying to get inside because if this building was not creepy enough they just had to create a doll room this room was used as a nursery when the hospital was in use today it is a dumping ground for creepy old school dolls Many people have had strange experiences while investigating inside. Some of the dolls are battery operated, so sometimes investigators will be down the hall and hear the words like I love you from the room, almost as if something were trying to get their attention and wants to lead them to that room. Investigators have said that they can use the dolls to get on-command responses, but from what? They just still don't know. Evil things have been reported in this building, as well as inside the doll room. A large black mass apparition with glowing red eyes have been seen in this room, along with dolls that have been moved around in the night. But speaking of evil, the darkest entities seem to hang out on the second floor and in the chapel. The second floor is where the nuns would have lived during the time of operation, and these ghost nuns are not kind. People who go to the second floor have been reported as being scratched, slapped, choked, and even one apparition likes to rush people who are walking the halls. Now that would freak me out. And apparently the ghost nuns hate people who have tattoos, so keep that in mind if you are going to go to the second floor. Apparitions of nuns in their habits walking down the halls at night have been seen as well. The chapel looks to be straight out of a horror movie, but some people think a demon might be hiding within the space. Allegedly, one of the people who worked at this building was possessed last year. She's had fits, was talking in tongues, and apparently even spewed bile, if that is to be believed. I honestly don't know how I feel about possession. I think it can happen, but it's also easy to fake. But if this really did happen to her, I'm so sorry that that person had to deal with that. That's really scary. I also think that a place like this could wear you down slowly so that you could be more on the easier level to be possessed. I don't know a lot about it, but I do know that there's like this headspace that I like to call like the danger zone. Best way I can describe it is you have moments when your walls are up really well and sometimes they're down. So I don't know, like I said, that much about possession, but I do know that People have said that if a person is really like already depressed, feeling down, the entity, demon, whatever feeds off of that. And then if you're really upbeat and you've got a really strong personality, demons also like that because they apparently like to wind you down and they have fun playing with you in the the trickster element. So that also freaks me out as well. So as far as I'm concerned, demons can stay the heck away from me and I won't be willing to talk to them. In this chapel, there is a second floor balcony and some have claimed to see a dark figure with a really dark presence looking down on you. If you want to go ghost adventure style, which I never recommend. Try reading scripture inside the chapel and apparently you will start to hear something growl at you from the darkness, which that sounds fun. You didn't think I would leave the basement out, did you? The basement is also a very scary place. There is thought to have been a double homicide that happened here when this was a drug rehab facility. Story goes, a woman who worked at the facility was dating a man who also worked at the facility, but she cheated on him with a patient and the woman's boyfriend caught her down in the the basement with the other man and her boyfriend became enraged and stabbed her to death then he turned the knife on the patient and the patient had to wrestle the knife away from the man and killed him in self-defense apparently the blood spatter is still on the walls today and many people attribute this murder to the strange things that go on inside the basement screams can be heard along with growls footsteps shadow figures a woman in white has been reported once also things getting thrown like pipes and rocks crazy stuff. EVP's are really clear in this area as well along with many locations in the building which I've already discussed. EVP's sometimes they're so silent you can't hear them but other this building every single one either every single one is faked or this is just a very highly energy charged place. From hobby ghost hunters to television shows like Ghost Adventures and Destination Fear to local news stations taking tours for Halloween episodes, everyone seems to agree this place is haunted. I watched a few news stations that sent teams in, and they definitely caught some strange things. I am going to go over a few things that people have experienced and caught on camera. A local news station called Crossroads Today sent in their news producer, Cass Cameron, and their production editor named Michael. They were taken on a tour of the building with a paranormal group called Curious Twins Paranormal and Ghost Tours to investigate. They experienced some really strange stuff. While the ghost hunting team was setting up an EVP session and talking to the ghost, you know, telling them why they're there, Cass felt what she would describe as cold water running down her back. She turned around to look behind her and then her camera suddenly shuts off on its own. They also reported many electrical problems like battery drains, equipment fails, equipment shutting off on its own, very strange stuff. Another reporter named Matthew from the news station News 4 San Antonio had something tug on his clothing in the basement. You could kind of tell he wasn't quite buying all the claims when he took the little tour and he filmed a little video beforehand, but when he was in the basement and he started beginning to, as he said, talk to the ghost, he kind of said it sarcastically, uh, his uh, video camera man suddenly goes, something just gripped my arm really hard. And Matthew pauses and looks around and then his eyes get really, really big. And he looks kind of dumbstruck and he looks at everyone in the room and he goes, I just felt a tug on my pocket. I'm not even kidding. And he was totally freaked out. And he was even like, okay, I'm not staying in here. Let's go. And he was trying to like stay cool on camera. But you could definitely tell it freaked him out a lot because he even like, he... He breathed and he like, he got the chills and then he was like, okay, let's go. <laughs> the Ghost Adventures team came to this location on season four, episode 21, and they caught a lot of activity. I personally don't like their style of ghost hunting, but they did catch some really good and very creepy EVPs. They caught entities saying like, like they caught a child ghost saying, you want to play? And it must be told. And I'll tell them you did it. Then they also caught it's sick. And then they also caught one that says, don't go in the bathroom. Okay, get in there, which that's weird. And the most scary one, in my opinion, that they caught was later on during the night. And it says, the killer is coming, get to the hallway, which that is really, really weird. A new show to the Travel Channel Network is called Destination Fear. And they went to this location and that episode had just aired about two weeks ago now. The show is literally a group of four young 20 year olds who go to the most scary haunted places to test their fear and see how fear drives, you know, their reaction to the paranormal and the paranormal world around them. It's kind of a little strange, and the concept is a little odd for me, but in a weird way, I really like this show, as long as they're not pulling one over, you know, as long as it's believable. So far, I haven't seen anything too crazy, but I will admit the last one was a little much. Anyways, so they went to this place, and when they went to this hospital, it was insane. The group is known for doing crazy challenges, like sending one person in completely alone for an hour to see how well they can handle it. They also always separate and sleep alone. In this episode, one of the ghost hunters named Chelsea went in alone and she felt like she was being pulled in a weird way to the chapel. And she was like, yeah, I'm not going in there. So she decided to go to the basement, which honestly, the basement is terrifying to me as well. So when she entered the priest's room in the basement, she had an ovulus with her and it went off. Now, an ovulus, for those of you who don't know, it's like a little black box and it's an electronical dictionary that some people claim spirits can use to form words. It's kind of weird. I don't really understand how it works. Some people don't like them. Some ghost hunters think they're fake and they don't use them at all. But when these ovulists say things that are so perfect to the situation, maybe that's a little more cause for thinking it's believable or they faked it either way. So when she went into the priest room, she her ovulus went off and she looked at it and it said Bible. And she was like, what the heck? Cause she was like in the priest room. So then she was like, that's really weird. And she tried to ignore it. And then it went off again and it said Jesus. And I'm sure that usually doesn't say those two words when you're standing in the middle of a priest room, right? I mean, I'd assume. And it was just very creepy. So the group, she left, the group went in together and then they went back to the priest's room cause it had a lot of activity. So they started to do an EBP session and they're like asking questions like what are you doing here are you evil or are you good because it was saying like bible and jesus so they were like oh maybe this is a good ghost and the evp is the longest one i've heard in a long time it literally says in a creepy breathy voice it says i'm evil i'm just having a good time it was so creepy i heard that and it sent chills down my spine They went on to explore the basement and they asked, you know, if you're still with us, let us know. And then they continued to go around and walk around the basement. And then suddenly really heavy footsteps could be heard coming down. the. There's like a couple stairs to a hallway. So they were going down the steps and then down the hallway right towards them. And the cameraman panicked because he thought it was a real person coming down the hallway. And he was like, oh, my God, there's someone coming down the hall. And he was freaking out. So then the group was like, everybody freeze. And then they heard a really, really loud bang like something slammed or something metal hit metal it was really scary and they all freaked out and then they're like okay let's go to the next floor if that wasn't enough um when they went up to the first floor they were catching some normal stuff you know like walking noises and voices and things like that but they went to the chapel and that's where things got really weird They did an EVP session, um, and the ovulist when they were setting it up, like he was just going to hit record on the thing, and the ovulist suddenly goes run, and they said, "Did it say run?" And they're like, "No, we're not going to run." And then they set up the recorder, and then they were asking him questions. They said again, like, "Why do you stay in this space? Who are you?" And when they played the tape recorder back, you could hear something almost yell, like really, really loud, like almost louder than the recorder. It said. Run away in an angry, growling type voice. And when they were like, run away, so they go to replay it and they're listening, and then there's nothing there. It's like the voice is gone. So either the entity was messing with them and somehow was able to erase what it just had said, or the creepier of the two, it was in the room with them and it yelled, run away at that exact time. So it sounded like it was coming from the recorder itself. Either way, it was very scary. I have never seen that happen before, but I have heard of it happening before. I have heard of ghost hunters getting EVPs and going all the way home and having them deleted. Same with photos. So that's a very creepy trickster element that I don't like. (laughs) That's the kind of stuff that I hate. But anyway, the team got all weirded out over this one because they were like, didn't we all just hear that? And then they're like, okay, let's leave. So in the end, this place is really insane with paranormal activity and everyone who has gone in there has had something happen. The ghost stories make me wonder what the true intent of this hospital even was and the past may be darker than we will ever know. you all enjoyed this episode i found so much information from so many sources i want to cite them really quick i found a ton of historical and ghostly information from hauntedroomsamerica.com also found some great stories from to TexasHillCountry.com, and of course Wikipedia and a couple of random sources I found on Google. And of course the two new stations that I already had cited, so thank you all so much. You make my research go a lot smoother and I always find new websites to add to my list of really great sources. And before I signed off, I just wanted to say I just realized this weekend when this is coming out, it's coming out on Memorial Day. I didn't even pay attention to what day it was when I started uh, recording this, so I feel really bad. Usually I would say something like this in the intro. I just wanted to pause, reflect, say thank you to all the men and women who are much braver than I am, who have given their lives for our freedoms. Thank you so much, and we honor you today. I'm losing track of time, guys, this lockdown. I don't even know what day it is anymore. Please check out my website at historicallyhaunted.net for all links to Patreon page, dyslexia notes, and of course, my Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook handles. One more big shout out to Kevin. Thank you so much for sending me those wonderful pictures and also of telling me your experience there and of course, that amazing EVP that you caught. All right. I hope everybody has a great couple of weeks. Can't wait to be back with another episode. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Thank you for all your support and I will see you next time. Bye guys.